Well, hey, everyone, I want to say thank you for joining us one last time in this series that we have called We Need a Hero. Boy, it's just crazy times that we're living in. And I was talking with someone today on our staff that as many times as we say it, we just keep saying it. Man, it's just so crazy. It's just so crazy. And it is. So I am thankful that you have taken time out of your schedule and your craziness to be with us for the next few moments. Um, Again, we're wrapping up this series called We Need a Hero. And if you're just now joining us, uh, this has been a series on what the Bible says is going to happen in the very last days. And we've even taken the series a little bit further, not just the last days, but what is the age to come look like, feel like? What does God say the age to come is going to be like? And so we have covered a number of years and years and years together. If you have not seen any of those messages, I encourage you to go to our website and you can watch those. But I'm going to do my best in the next few minutes to bring everyone up to speed with my drawing. I know you've loved it in the weeks past, but I think again, if you're just now joining us, I'm going to kind of bring you into what we've talked about and kind of comment along the way. So I want to jump in as we conclude this together. Um, Let me kind of uh, set it up by saying, obviously, at the very beginning of time, uh, our time, not God's time, Adam and Eve, God made everything exactly the way he wanted it to be. Uh, If we just trace the timeline here, we'll jump ahead to Jesus, who is the hero of the story, his death and his resurrection. We're going to place ourselves somewhere here a couple thousand years later. And here's what we've discussed. We've discussed that at any time we believe scripture talks about something called the rapture, that God, any given time, could happen before I'm done speaking would bring his children home, those who've called him by name, their savior, and to bring him to a place that actually is called paradise. Now, I want to answer a question that a lot of people have. Maybe you didn't know that you even had this question, but once I'll ask it, you'll think, yeah, that's a really good question. What about the people who lived before Jesus? Like, where, where did they go when they died? Um, the Bible actually speaks to this. Believe it or not, To those who died, who gave their life to God, surrendered to him in faith, believing that a savior would come. The Bible says it was credited to their faith as righteousness. So they received a credit in advance before the cross and the resurrection. So those individuals would join what is called paradise. Now, if you remember, you go, where do you get the word paradise? The word paradise actually comes from, if you remember when Jesus died, there were two thieves that died alongside of him. One was very angry and died actually in his anger and his sin. The other confessed Jesus to be Lord and basically just asked, would you please have mercy and grace on me? And Jesus told him today, not a future time. Not months later, not years later, but today you will be with me in paradise. So this is the answer to what happened to believers before Jesus died and came back to life through the resurrection. They joined in paradise and it's at the rapture. We will join them as well in paradise. One thing that we talked about during this time, at some point during this time, is uh, there is a, a judgment seat. And I'm going to do, do my best again to draw a judgment, a throne here. 
Hey, that's a lot better than the last time, actually. It might look like a dinner seat, but we're going to go with the throne. And you will be judged based on what you did for Jesus. This is not a judgment whether or not you get into heaven or you don't make it into heaven. You are in paradise because you've given your life to Jesus. Now you just simply give an account of what you did for Jesus. So our past heroes of the faith join us for this moment in celebration in paradise. Well, what's happening on earth during this time? This was one of our messages that we covered. At some point, a peace treaty is made. That peace treaty is made with Israel, God's chosen people, and the Antichrist. This peace treaty will last for a total of seven years. The Bible says it's actually divided into three and a half and three and a half years. At some point during this peace treaty with Israel, the Antichrist will turn on Israel and he will subject the world to know him as the savior of the world. God himself is what he's going to declare himself to be and the false prophet along with it. We've discussed how horrific those seven years will be. Now here's a question. What about those who died before Jesus who never surrendered to God? Great question. See, you didn't even know you had these great questions. Well, likewise, those who died not surrendering their faith to God, they go to a place that the Bible describes as Sheol. Or, another word in Scripture, Hades. It's the realm of the dead, as it were. And they're waiting for something I'm going to talk about in just a moment. But again, if you're just catching up, then at the end of seven years, Christ comes back. This is what is known as Armageddon. We're going to go with arm for short. This is Armageddon. I showed you a picture of where that battle will actually take place in Israel. It is a place to where all of the enemies of Christ come together. Jesus shows up and it's actually a battle that happens with one spoken word from Jesus, which is pretty amazing. So if you want to wrap up all of Revelation, you could do it by simply saying, there's a war, Jesus wins. That's the book of Revelation in a nutshell, and it happens at Armageddon. Now, this is what we talked about last week. When Jesus comes back, he sets up his throne, and he becomes the president of the world. According to your works will be according to where you serve. It's like if we were sitting uh, in a in a restaurant together. <laughs> Remember when we could do that together? And if the restaurant is packed, and let's just say a general walked in the room, you would know that guy has done something great. He's decorated somehow. The, the, he, he, he has the medals on. And there would be an attention and a, a, an authority given to him. This is like it will be in the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. Those who have sacrificed, those who have given, those who have served Jesus. There will be a recognition to that individual did something amazing with their life for him. Same, th same thing with the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. Again, we talked about this last week. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Here's why I want to pick it up today. There will be individuals who at that time miss the rapture and they know what has taken place because they were taught, because they went to church, because they read. They're aware it really is true. 
And there will be many to give their life to Christ during that time. There will be many who give their life to Christ, but have to pay the ultimate sacrifice of becoming a martyr under the leadership of the Antichrist. Now, question, will there be some though who actually live through the tribulation? Yes, they will. When they live through the tribulation period, it is during the thousand years that they will be able to marry. They will be able to have kids. Again, we talked about this last week. Those kids will have to, these are my little children right here, by the way. You're going, what is that? These are my little children. Those individuals will have to make a decision about Jesus himself. Just like you have to make a decision about Jesus yourself. The beautiful thing is that during this thousand years, Satan is actually in chains. That's a pitchfork with chains. He's actually in chains for 1,000 years. I want you to think about this. During that thousand year time period, there'll be conversations that we have trying to explain to people what it was like. Yeah, you had to lock your cars. You had to lock your cars? Oh, it's crazy. Like, like you had alarms on your homes. Alarms? What do you mean you had alarms on your home? Yeah, I mean, people could break in. And eat. Why would they break in? That's how amazing the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ will be. And Jeff mentioned it so well that at the very end of the thousand years, there is one more war that takes place. Satan is released and it's here that one last battle takes place. And it's so interesting that it really is not Satan himself or his demons. It's that we are born with a sinful heart. And even when it's perfect, we don't want him. That final war will bring about something that I want to talk about for the next few moments. It will bring about something called the great white throne judgment at this point. The great white throne judgment. This is a judgment for every person who has rejected Jesus. Watch, watch. All the individuals throughout time who had rejected Christ, all the individuals who have rejected Christ during the thousand years, this is their judgment. You, knowing Jesus Christ, will not be judged at this judgment. This is for everyone who rejected Christ by their own decision. This is where at the great white throne judgment, a decision is made for that individual. First, here's what we know. The Bible is very clear that the Antichrist, Satan himself, uh, the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire for eternity. Can I get an amen on that in the chat room? He is gone. He is done with. You will never sense him again. You will never feel him breathing down your neck again to sin and rebel against Christ. He is done away with forever. Hell, very clear. Jesus, very clear. Hell was made for Satan and his angels. Never made for individuals. Never. Anyone who goes to hell chooses to go there chooses to bypass grace, bypass mercy, bypass the cross, and chooses to go there themselves. That will be one decision made at the great white throne judgment for every individual throughout time who's never given their life to Christ. Another event that happens 
in Revelation, which we will get to. This you can read about, we will, in Revelation 21. The very last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, is when Jesus makes the entire world new and there is a new heaven and a new earth. So here's what I want to do for the next few moments. I want to talk about both environments. One I love talking about. The other, I absolutely hate it. However, it's in the story. And Jesus talked about it. So if he talked about it, we need to talk about it as well. I want to talk to you about the great white throne judgment. In the Bible, in Revelation chapter 21 is where we actually find this. Starting in uh, chapter 20 goes through 21 that you can read this a little bit later on. Here's what it says. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. Remember in scripture, when the word death is used, it means separation. It's not an ending of, it's separation from. So this dead, those who have died spiritually in their life, which I just drew out, anyone not giving their life to Christ, they don't receive life. They've actually experienced death spiritually. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And this is interesting, books were opened. I'll talk to you about that in just a moment. But it goes on to explain. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades, which I drew a moment ago, gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he or she was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I want to talk about that in just a moment in all of the books, but I want to talk about the purpose of. What's the purpose of this moment? And it's this. Number one, it's this. To remove sin for all of eternity. If you've ever wondered, God, why don't you do something? Why don't you take care of them? Why don't you just wipe them off the planet? They're so evil. It's so evil. God, why don't you do something? This is the moment. God does something for all of eternity. We, we, we have to remember, God said, I am patient. I, I don't want anyone to perish. I don't want anyone to live apart from me. So I'm very patient. I will take my time before this day comes because I love every single individual and I want them to give their life to me. But if you struggled with sin, as I have, and watching sin, as I have, this is the moment where God deals with it once and for all. This is the moment where there's no attorney. This is the moment where each person, as scripture says, gives an account for their own Life, And that brings up the second purpose for this moment, to determine the degree of punishment. There are different degrees of punishment in hell. Um, uh, someone such as a Hitler will not receive the same eternal punishment as a, a good neighbor who just refused to believe in Jesus. This is a just judge, as we talked about in one of the weeks before. God's judgment will be just. What does he use 
for the just judgments. Let's talk about that. One, one book that he will use will be the Bible. Uh, in scripture, it says that his word is eternal, that it lasts for all time. But it's more than that. This is the judgment God will use according to what he said and according to who he is. Um, it's, we're not judged based on how I measure up to Bob or Jojo or Sally Sue. I am judged based on what I did according to what God said and to his character, not someone else's character. In this moment, God uses his word to determine the degree of punishment. If you look at what scripture says, in John chapter 12, Jesus says this, there is a judge for those, for those uh, one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him, condemn him when? At the last day. This is what he's talking about. It's God's word, Jesus' word, what he spoke. There's another book that's actually mentioned that we just read about. And that book will be there on this day, the book of life. So clear as to what we just read. Anyone's name who is not found in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. The person who is at this judgment, their name will not be found in the book of life. Talk about a database. This is one. And they will perhaps beg that God looks for their nickname. He looks for their last name, but it won't be found. They made a decision long ago. They didn't want to be in his book. They didn't want to be associated with his name. Therefore, their name will not be found in the book of life. When their name is not found in the book of life, God moves to the books that are mentioned. The books are known as the book of deeds. God does find your name and your book. And when he finds your name and your book, it is recorded everything you've ever done against him, not for him. Now, someone may say, but I also did some good things. Surely, I mean, there, I gave to the Red Cross. I, I did serve my neighbors. I, I, I went to church every now and then. Surely there are some good things. Listen, your good deeds will never, ever outweigh your bad deeds. When the standard is perfection. And you're not on the court stand of your life for eternity now based on the good things you've done. You stand in the courtroom for your eternity now because of what you have done against him and his word. And the scales will not equal out. Every thought, every word, every deed, everything you should have done that you didn't do is all found and it's then and it's there that you give an account of your life. And it's, it's interesting in Romans chapter one, it says in that moment, no man will be able to give an excuse. No man, no woman, no student will be able to say, yeah, yeah, yeah but. No, it says every mouth is silenced when you stand in front of him. No, yeah, buts, only his word. Um, there's a story that, that Jesus told in scripture and it's different than any other parable that he would use. When Jesus would tell parables, he would use um, the birds. He, he would use um, some, some, some object. He would never use a name 
in a parable, which a parable was just simply a story, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. This one is different, however. In this story that Jesus tells, he actually uses a name, which scholars believe Jesus is pulling back the curtain to what takes place in the lake of fire, in Hades itself, in the separation of God, that for a brief moment, Jesus gives a terrifying and horrific description for those who do not surrender their life to Christ. I want to read it to you and then we'll just talk about it for just a moment. Here's what it says. Here's the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16. It says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple. In that day, everything was brown. The dirt was brown. Sand was brown. Their clothes were brown because it came from animals. It was just brown, brown, brown. If you had a colored outfit, you were very, very wealthy. You were able to get the dye that came from the mountains and you were able to purchase it, bring it down, dye your clothes or buy them dyed. And so this man was very well off. He was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar, here it is, named Lazarus. This is not the Lazarus that was raised from the dead. Lazarus was a very common name back then, like John uh, or Chris. This beggar's name was Lazarus. It's someone specific that he's talking about. He was covered with swords, swords and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. And even the dogs came and licked his swords. But the time came, as it does for all of us, when the beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Again, another name. To Abraham's side in paradise. The rich man also died and was buried in hell. This is interesting. Jesus names a place. It's not, it's not a figure of speech that he's using. In Hades, in hell, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember, it's an important word, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us, you and a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, Send Lazarus to my father's house for I have five brothers and let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of, interesting word, torment. You know what Jesus goes on to say in this, by the way? You can read it yourself if you'd like. He says, even if someone comes back from the dead, they will not believe. It's a horrific description that Jesus gives us of these individuals uh, for all of eternity. And when you look at this story along with other scriptures throughout the Bible, we learn this about this place. 
the very first thing of this, this torment that Jesus talks of, the torment of hell is physical. You cannot deny he is in complete agony. Listen, we talked about this. Just as you as a believer get a new body for all of eternity to stand in the presence of God, likewise, unbelievers get a new body to endure torment for the rest of their life. It is a place of physical torment. In fact, scripture says it is such agony they will want to die, but they can't. For 24-7, every second of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, they are in complete agony, physical agony. Scripture also says it is the darkest of dark there. It's not only physical, but it's social It's the darkness of night always. You know, some people say, man, I can't wait to go to hell to party with my friends. There is no party. And your friends may be there. But there's no party to be had. Isaiah talks about how, and the way that it's worded is so interesting. It talks about how you are at your worst sinful state for all of eternity. In other words, the problem with hell when it comes to the social aspect is you are stuck with you and there's no changing you. It's the worst of you. It is as if there is an addict who can never get a hit. Someone who's sexually addicted but who can never gratify that desire. An alcoholic who wants one more drink And it's living with this desire but can never be satisfied. Isaiah also talks about that on the social aspect that when you bump into one another, you are so detestable that you just can't stand to see one another. And the question is, can't we all get along? The answer is simple, no. No one can get along. You desire community, yet you want your own separate space because you're so disgusted by everyone that you see. There's a social torment to this, but there's also not just physical, not just social, but there's an internal. Remember in the story, it says, remember. This could be the worst part of hell itself. That you remember you had all the opportunities and you just hate yourself for eternity for not saying yes, for not bowing your knee, for not acknowledging you sacrificed everything. So my answer to you is yes. My answer to you is yes. And there's this remembrance that you have over and over and over and over. There is an internal hell that is established for all of, and this is the last part, what we learned from the story, eternal. You know, you have the hell of physical. (laughs) I've been asked before, is it like you're around fire or you actually in fire? Answer, does it matter? The description that is read, not just here, but in other parts of scripture, does it matter? Agony is agony. Torment is torment. Does it really matter? Does it really matter what degree you experience? And the internal, the social aspect, it's like Alcatraz who can see the, the lights of San Francisco, the maybe perhaps if it was really loud here, the sounds of San Francisco and it's the party along the coast, yet you're trapped for all of eternity to a party you cannot ever get to. And it hits you over and over. This is for eternity with no escape ever. I remember talking with an atheist 
who actually came to the bridge. He joined a group that I started called Starting Point. And I'm so glad he attended. There were many times he would ask questions about God, the Bible, and I didn't know how to answer. So I would just say, I have no idea how to answer that question. Why don't we search and read together? And it was an amazing journey with, with Kyle. Genius, genius, genius man. And I remember one time in Starting Point where the topic of hell came up. And I remember him saying these words. Kenny, if there really is a hell for all of eternity, that would mean every leaf on every tree around the world would represent a million years. And when every leaf of every tree around the world had fallen off, eternity has just started for that individual. I thought I've never heard it put that way. But that brings it even more perspective of why Jesus talked about it so much. You just don't want to go there. You just don't. And I love that we don't close the Bible on that and go, well, that's, that's the place everybody's going if they don't know Jesus. No, 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 God in his genius. I love that he closed with another option. I love that he gave a different scenario, a different place, a different environment. I encourage you to read all of it. I just want to read a little bit of it because as Paul said, you can try to imagine this place all you want, but you will never, ever be able to imagine or speak about or write enough words to describe what God has planned for those who love him. And just before the Bible closes on the end of the age and what it would be like. God gives us a snapshot of the alternative for those who know him. The new heaven and the new earth. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city. By the way, I want to stop. He just describes one city in this chapter. Just one. And it will blow your mind. I don't know what all the other cities look like. This is just one. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. See the relationship, not a religion. Beautifully dressed for her husband. And it says this. And they heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is God speaking. Look, God's dwelling place is now. I want to stop. God has a dream. This is his dream come true. That for those who've given their life, followed him, now, now, God's dream come true. He started it in Eden with a dream. He brings the dream all the way back to a reality as he promised so long ago. Now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe. You ever wonder where this happens? This is it. This is when this happens. You've heard it at funerals, but this is when it happens. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be death or mourning or crying or pain. The one thing that we all share, no more of that, for the old order of those things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 
Nothing old, nothing broken, nothing breaks down anymore. No more pain getting out of bed. Everything is brand new. And I love this. Jesus said, look, I'm coming soon. The hero of the story, the alternative, does not have to be in a place separated me forever. I'm coming soon. And I want you to be with me. This is the dream that I have for you. He goes, my reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the alpha, which means the beginning, and the omega, which means the end. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears, come. Let anyone, here's the prerequisite, who's thirsty. If if this world and this system of life has left you dry and thirsty, the Holy Spirit says, come to me. While there's still time, just come to me. Come and let anyone who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. It costs you absolutely nothing. Why? Because it cost him everything. So the very end, right before it closes, Jesus just makes an invitation. Go, whoa, 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 whoa. Just come. Just come. Just come. Just come. The only prerequisite, not that you're perfect because no one is. Not that you're going to make promises that you're going to clean up your life because no one ever can do that. But I can. So the invitation is simple. I want you to come to me. I love this invitation that Jesus gives to us. At the very end of the story as we know it, but the story that really begins for all, of, all time, for all of eternity. And I could not close this series and I certainly couldn't close this message without giving you an invitation to come if you never have, that you would come to him. And I want to lead you in a prayer. If that's you and you are tired of this world, you're tired of your sin, you're tired of life, the invitation is to come. And I invite you to pray with me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And wherever you are, just say to him, Jesus, I'm coming to you and you alone. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I admit my need of you. You know all my sin, all my hangups all my failures. So I'm coming to you just as I am. And I believe that you love me. I believe you died for me. I believe you came back to life for me. So the best way I know how, I'm making you the hero of my life by saying yes to you today. Thank you for changing me from the inside out. And thank you for making me your child today so that my name is written in the book of life for eternity. In your name I pray, amen.